Please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight because you and you only, God, are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Very few of the years of my life have I gotten to choose where I live. So from growing up till I was almost 18, I lived at home with my parents, and I guess, yeah, if you want to be a stickler, I could have chosen otherwise, but not really. Then from 18 to 25, I'm in school, and the choices are really limited in which dorm do you want to live, or do you want to live off campus? Then from 25 till I was 48 years old, I lived in parsonages. No choice. Well, I, I chose the career. Don't get to choose where you live. So I didn't get to choose my neighbors. Until I moved here, I moved here, I'm appointed to Euless First United Methodist Church, and there's a housing allowance, not a parsonage. I didn't know what to do with that, because I'd always lived in a parsonage. I'd never gotten to choose where I live. Now I get to choose where I live. I got to choose my neighbors. Although I didn't know about it that way, I was a first-time homeowner, or to-be first-time homeowner, and I didn't have any thought about looking, uh, trying to find out who my neighbors might be before I moved in there. I knew you want to find a house that's, you know, it's got good bones, doesn't need a lot of work, got a floor plan you can live with or you like. I mean, we're going to be in the HB school system, so it didn't matter where within that, right? So it was all good. Our only, our real decision factor was we wanted to be on the same side of the highway as the church because the highway was under construction, and we didn't know the half of it then. And now we went and moved the church to the other side of the highway. <laughs> we'll be all right. Because I never thought about it in terms of getting to choose my neighbors or not. And, and, and I still hadn't until coming up on week three of this Love Where You Are, The Art of Neighboring series. And a few of you have said to me in the last couple weeks, I don't have any neighbors. And I know what you mean because you say what you mean, that you live on a large enough piece of land that you can't see your neighbors from your front porch or in your front yard, maybe. And I know there are a few people like that. On the other hand, man, I drove through New Mexico and Arizona and Utah and Colorado, and for that matter, the, the panhandle of Texas. There's people that can't see their neighbors out there for the curvature of the earth, man. <laughs> But it got me thinking about um, this week's installment or this week's version of Love, Love Where You Are in the Art of Neighboring. And I want to turn around the question that the legal expert asked Jesus when, when Jesus responded with the story of the Good Samaritan, because that's kind of, that's our foundation story for this whole series. And instead of asking, who is my neighbor? I want to ask, do I have to be a neighbor? Do I have to be a neighbor? So, I appreciate that young person's answer. However, I will tell you this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have no choice but to be a neighbor. And I hate to follow a sweet little innocent kid saying no with that. But, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have no choice but to be 
a neighbor. Which for many of us raises up the legal expert within us, not just the one that resides in Luke chapter 10, because he got that he has to be a neighbor, so he threw the question at Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Looking for a loophole. Some of us live our spiritual lives looking for loopholes in clear teachings of Jesus. So I don't know what loopholes you might look for. Today, I want to invite you to look at loopholes from the other side. Do I have to be a neighbor? Do I have to be a neighbor to everybody? Because here's, sadly, here's an answer that too much of American Christendom has given over the last 50 years. Do I have to be a neighbor to everybody? Well, yes. Everybody, um, read it the way the legal expert read it in chapter in Luke chapter nine and uh, chapter ten, and the way many um, Le- G- Jewish thinkers of the day read it, a neighbor meant any other person who was a person of the covenant. So you got to be a neighbor. You got to love all the neighbors that are within this realm of God's covenant. The current Christian American version of that is: we have churches with bowling alleys in them. There's at least one church in Arizona with a gun range in the basement. We got churches with Starbucks and pizza shops and all kinds of things in them so we don't have to mix with the world out there. So all of our neighbors are the ones that are in here. And some of you are old enough to remember the Yellow Pages, right? When there was a Yellow Pages, there was a Christian Yellow Pages. Because you don't want to have to pay some heathen plumber to fix your toilet. Now, I'll allow that, that there's some sense in wanting to, to give financial and, and economic support to like-minded people. But when we limit ourselves that way, it's really easy for us to forget who our neighbors actually are. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have no choice but to be a neighbor. And you don't get to... You don't get to define your neighbors down any more tightly than Jesus did in the story of the Good Samaritan. And the reason that he threw the Samaritan in there, you might remember from week one. If not, it's on the internet, any podcast app you like. Jesus threw the Samaritan in there because for every Jew that was listening to Jesus tell that story, Samaritans were not only not in the covenant group, they were out three layers. So we don't have to deal with them. What are you throwing a Samaritan at us? And even worse, Jesus didn't say you have to be a neighbor to the Samaritan. He used the Samaritan as the example of who was a good neighbor. So do I have to be a neighbor? In 1985, I moved everything I owned from Texas to Kentucky in a Dodge Omni. It's not, it's it's off the internet. I don't have a picture of my Dodge Omni because we didn't take 70 pictures a day in the 80s. Anyway. Everything I owned except two boxes of winter clothing that I UPS to myself in Wilmore, I took with me in my Dodge Omni. Four years later, we moved back to Texas in a 24-foot U-Haul, pulling the Omni full of stuff. Because that's how your 20s are, right? So, I turn off of... Loop 287 around Lufkin on the west side onto Farm Market Road 706, heading for Bethlehem United Methodist Church, right on the back side of which was the parsonage. And I'm getting a little anxious. 
I'd never been a pastor before, but I felt confident this is what God's calling me to do. Just graduated seminary. I've been ordained. But I don't know what I'm doing. So there's all this excitement and all this anxiety, and we're almost there. I, you know how you feel when you're almost there after three days on the road? And I'm driving a U-Haul, towing my Omni, and the car in front of me is doing 30 in what's at least a 45-mile-an-hour zone. And I'm about to lay into the horn when I wonder if that's one of my church members driving 30 miles an hour. So I laid off the horn. It immediately made me think of the 1965 Ford Fairlane that my dad bought for my brother and I to drive. Again, not a picture, but ours was this color. One of the first things we did with our 1965 Ford Fairlane is we put a honk if you love Jesus in the back window. It took me two weeks to forget I had a honk if you love Jesus sticker in my back window which led me to respond in not so Jesus-y ways, let your imagination wander, when somebody honked at me. Nobody who doesn't know Jesus will believe Jesus loves them if they honk at a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker and get an ugly gesture at them. Ask your mom. Nobody who doesn't love Jesus will believe you telling them that Jesus loves them if you don't love them. Which is why I think of all the verses and all the scriptures, I think 1 John 4.20 might sum it up the best. If you say you love God, but you hate a brother or sister, you're a liar. So however, however we say we feel towards God, whatever list of characteristics or things we've accomplished that we can show God for how much we love God, if we hate a brother or sister, all this stuff that we put together to convince us does not convince God. We have to be a neighbor. It's one of the reasons I love this, the, the passages that, that Thomas read this morning. Deuteronomy 8. So, you, you know, Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book of the Bible. Moses is preparing. It's kind of a recapitulation of everything that's happened in the 40 years that God's people have been wandering in the wilderness. And so Moses goes through many of the commands again for the people again in Deuteronomy. And in chapter 8, by the way, they've wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. We've wandered, I feel like, for about six years towards our relocation up on Ash Lane. I know some of you have been here a lot longer than that say, oh, we started wandering a long time before that. It feels like 40 years. And so now Moses is preparing the people to go into the promised land without him. And he says, watch yourself which if you have a kid that's about 30 takes you to a song by Mystical that really can't be quoted in a sermon, but I just had to throw that in here. Watch yourself, 
that you don't forget your commands. But here, two things that, that, that I got out of this passage in Deuteronomy. The reason, the way that we're to not forget God's commands is by keeping them. Not by being able to pass a test. Not by being able to list all 10 or all 613, depending on what count you want. Probably stick with 10. But by keeping them. So Moses says, it's not about passing the test at the end of the period. It's about keeping the commands, living them. But then the end of the passage, he reminds us why it is God gave us the commands and wants us to keep them in the first place. Because God has delivered us from slavery. Now, maybe if you haven't wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, having been or had your parents been actual slaves in Egypt, maybe it's easy for you to tell yourself, I was never a slave, but you were enslaved to something when Jesus saved you. And until and unless we're willing to keep in, that in touch with us at the forefront of our, of our hearts and souls and minds, that we have been freed from slavery to something then it's really hard for us to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So two things from this Deuteronomy passage. Remember God by doing what God says. And remember who God is. God is the one who saved us, who delivered us from slavery. Because God has no expectations of people for whom God has done nothing. God only expects love and friendship and abundance and generosity from people for whom God has done something. we tend to be people who are in church on a Sunday morning who know God's done something for us. Which then leads us to the awesome story that Thomas read for us in Luke chapter 18. And you've heard this story before. I'm sure it sounded familiar to most of you. So he tells this story. There's a tax collector and a Pharisee, and they go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, I want to get this right because I don't know about you, you don't want to misquote a Pharisee. The Pharisee prays. It says, Luke's awesome. He prayed about himself with these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. Okay, he's not an altogether horrible person because that fast twice a week, give a tenth of everything I receive, there are not many of us that meet that bar. So he's not a horrible person here. He's not a totally horrible person. But then we, we who know the grace of God and that God delivers us know that God delivers all kinds of people. So then the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven. And rather he struck his chest and he said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this person, the tax collector, go, went down to his home more justified, went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. So the takeaway, Jesus closes this section with this. All who lift themselves will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted high. But I don't know if you caught the genius of what Jesus did here. So he gives us this Pharisee who is generally a, I mean, he fasts twice a week. He gives a tenth of all he receives. I'm sure that's gross, not net, if it's all he receives. And he's not like those crooks and evildoers and adulterers. 
But then there's the tax collector. Doesn't even look up to heaven. He prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you hear that story, and it's like, man, I want want the tax collector. That's who we're supposed to be like. That's what this story's about, right? And then, if you have anything like I do, you catch yourself before you can help it and say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee. And then, oh, Jesus got me. Aren't you glad you're not like the Pharisee? Jesus got you too. What is it about some of your neighbors that you're glad you're not like? Because we, if we're followers of Jesus, we have to be neighbors. And maybe it helps to know this. Let me add this. You might not have thought of this. Maybe this will help. Jesus loves your neighbors as much as Jesus loves you. Jesus loves my neighbors as much as Jesus loves me. Jesus loves your neighbors as much as Jesus loves you. So do I have to be a neighbor? Yeah, I have to be a neighbor. I have to be a neighbor to the neighbors that are hard to love and the neighbors that are easy to love. I have to be a neighbor to the people that go to the same church I go to and the people that don't go to any church. I have to be a neighbor to the people that are Christian and the people that, that are at the Sikh temple right now. By the way, they've invited us to help them at their mobile food pantry this Wednesday afternoon. Isn't that awesome? I have to be a neighbor to people who voted for Donald Trump. I have to be a neighbor for people who want Donald Trump impeached. I have to be a neighbor for people that look just like me. I have to be a neighbor for people that look the opposite of me, whatever that is. I have to be a neighbor to people who are driving 30 miles an hour when it's clearly marked at 45. I have to be a neighbor to people who honk at me if I have a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. I have to be a neighbor to people who I honk at because they have a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker and then they look at me like, what the are you doing? I have to be a neighbor to people from Texas and Kentucky and wherever. You have to be a neighbor to people that kneel next to you at communion. You have to be a a neighbor to people that cannot imagine how the presence of God becomes real to you in a little bit of King's Hawaiian bread and a little cup of grape juice. You have to be a neighbor to people who have been burnt and left for dead by the church. You have to be a neighbor for people that think that if you're not part of my church, God doesn't love you. You have to be a neighbor. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have no choice but to be a neighbor. Please pray with me. God, for the love you have given us, not because we deserved it, but because it's who you are, we are grateful for your delivering us from all the variety of things from which you have delivered us. One collective word, God, is the sins that would entrap or chain or rule or bring us to death. You have delivered us. We are your primary means, God, 
for letting the world around us, for letting our neighbors know of this great and good love that you have for us and for them. Help us share it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.